Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Well, here we go, here we go, here we go from the tippy-tippy top of the world-famous Fox News headquarters in New York City. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon. He's playing a sold-out show in Seattle later this evening. We have a packed-out show for you here. Coming up at the bottom of this hour, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University. Dr. Bhattacharya was one of the authors of the great Barrington Declaration, which dared to question the COVID orthodoxy of Lord Fauci and company. On that theme, later in this hour, we have Dr. Marty McCary. He's surgeon and public policy researcher at Johns Hopkins University and a Fox News contributor. At the bottom of hour two, we have Congressman Tom Tiffany from Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District. At the bottom of hour three, Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Fox and & Friends and host of the nationally syndicated Brian Kilmeade radio show. He will join us. In the midst of all of that, absent the wit and wisdom of Jimmy Fallon, we have the wit and wisdom of you, which we invite at 888-788-9910. 888-788-9910. Punch that into your phone now. I'm no match for Jimmy, but you are, and I want to hear your take on things here on this Friday. But right now, the business at hand is a government that cannot tell the truth and will smack you down if you dare to point that out. Like 9-11, COVID was a common cause moment for America. It wasn't a Democrat issue or a Republican issue or a Green Party issue or any party issue. It was an American issue. And there was a time when a common cause problem arose, Americans came together. That's how the nation survived the Civil War, met the challenge of World War I, shook off the Great Depression, literally saved the world in World War II, stood up to the evils of a nuclear-armed Soviet Union, and stood tall following the terrorist attacks of 9-11. But that's not what happened when COVID came ashore in 2020. COVID coming as it did on the eve of a presidential election and during the administration of a president who was loathed to an irrational degree by the media and Washington elites served to activate the very worst instincts of the liberal ruling class. COVID pitted working class Americans against the laptop class. It pitted guys with names like Fred against guys with names like Asher. It pitted ordinary, middle-class, heartland, hard-working, God-fearing trade school and state university graduates against a small but inordinately powerful cohort of condescending Ivy League coastal elites. And here over the past several months, what started as a trickle is becoming a steady stream that I predict will turn into a flood. By increments, it is coming out that the U.S. response to the COVID pandemic a response that was emulated by most of the world, was deeply flawed and likely caused harm that will last for a generation. Little by little, respected, well-credentialed people armed with facts and expertise are tempting the truth ministers of social media and even to this day risking their reputations and careers with increasing boldness. They're saying out loud that the experts, and I put that in quotes, experts blew it. Facts are emerging that increasingly make it clear that shutting down the economy, quarantining the healthy, a first in the history of pandemics, by the way, keeping kids out of school, banning church services, weddings, and funerals, forcing people to wear masks, and forcing them to submit to a hastily created vaccine, taken all together, likely did more harm than good. There are a lot of examples, more than we have time for here, but here's just a few. 
About this time last year, economists at Johns Hopkins Hopkins University published a paper saying that the lockdowns promoted by the CDC and Dr. Anthony Fauci had little impact on COVID mortality. Read that again. Had little impact on COVID mortality. The money quote from the paper said, this is a quote, while this meta-analysis concludes that lockdowns have had little to no public health effects, they have imposed enormous economic and social costs where they have been adopted, end quote. Later in 22, the highly respected Cleveland Clinic conducted a study encompassing 51,000 of its own employees. Cleveland Clinic did not require their employees to be vaccinated. They had the choice to be vaccinated or tested regularly. So the Cleveland Clinic had a control group. So the goal of their study was to evaluate the efficacy of COVID vaccines. And guess what? That survey revealed that more, that the more one is vaccinated and boosted, the greater the likelihood of contracting COVID. Then we have the Cochrane Library, the gold standard of databases used in medical research and decision-making. They published a review of dozens of randomized controlled trials showing that masks made, quote, little or no difference in the transmission of COVID. There's both anecdotal and academic evidence that the COVID vaccines have caused widespread injury and premature death arising from cardiac injury, particularly to young, healthy, athletic males. And now, just recently, last week, Intelligence in the hands of the Department of Energy, of all places, seems to confirm what was once mocked as conspiracy theory. That is to say, COVID came from a virology research lab in Wuhan, China. It did not jump species. It No, it did not come from a Chinese wet market where somebody ate a bat. What we can now see with the perfect clarity of hindsight, and I'll, I'll spot you that, hindsight is perfect, is that the advent of COVID did something terrible to us. It opened the door for a microscopically small group of experts to anoint themselves with nearly unlimited authority over the lives of ordinary working Americans, that is to say, you and me. Those experts were aided and abetted by elite members of academia, government, media, and most especially by big tech. When those who could ill afford the economic effects of COVID lockdowns, which is to say, stay home and don't get paid. In other words, the working class, small business owners, restaurant waiters, hotel bellmen and housekeepers, and on and on like that, those people were dismissed as Neanderthal and even evil. What's most troubling about all of this isn't so much that the experts got it wrong, though. That's not the real story here. What's most troubling, the real story here, is that through it all, no debate was permitted. You couldn't raise a question. You couldn't hold up your hand and say, hey, wait a minute. You couldn't say, are we sure this is the right thing to do? Lay people and dissenting scientists alike were shamed, set upon, silenced, and canceled. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University is joining us at the bottom of this hour, together with Dr. Sinetra Gupta, an epidemiologist from Oxford University in the U.K., Dr. Martin Kuldorf, until 2021, a professor of medicine at Harvard University, all three highly credentialed in the areas of infectious disease and epidemiology suffered enormous negative professional consequences for authoring and disseminating the Great Barrington Declaration, which did nothing more sinister than raise questions about the advisability and consequences of the lockdowns. 
It's increasingly evident that the expert class, note the air quotes, as embodied by the likes of Dr. Anthony Fauci, and which accumulated to itself the authority to suspend our very liberties, failed. Again, we all pay the price, but as usual, those who can least afford it, that is to say the poor and the working class, well, of course, they pay the most. And the price is staggering. Countless thousands of small businesses closed, the life's work of their owners gone, shocking increases in the numbers of suicides and divorces, an appalling increase in drug and alcohol abuse, an equally appalling increase in domestic violence, and then perhaps worst of all, an entire generation of school-age children who will very likely never get back to grade level and whose academic losses will likely stunt their economic prospects for the rest of their lives. But for all of that, as I say, that's bad as it is, that's not the worst of it. The worst of it was and continues to be that reasonable voices who dare to speak against the pronouncements of a tiny, tiny cohort of experts from government and academia, those people are put down. Rather than engage in debate, Fauci, aided by the liberal media, social media, and most appalling of all, the FBI and the DOJ, set out to silence anyone who questioned the received wisdom of COVID policy. If you dared to ask a question, if you dared to raise an objection, if you dared to offer a countervailing opinion, you risked cancellation. That could and very frequently did include being kicked off of social media. It could mean losing your standing in a professional organization. You could lose your job. You certainly could be shunned socially. How does a society address a common problem if it's not possible to engage in debate as to how best to proceed? How does that work? What kind of a scientist are you if you don't allow questions? Science is all about asking questions. And to make it personal, and I want to hear from you on this, to make it personal, how many times in your own social circle did you run up against people who would publicly shame or shun you if you made the mistake of saying out loud that you thought maybe locking down the economy or effectively putting millions of Americans under house arrest might be a bad idea. If you, how many times in your, in your own social environment, moving around among your friends and colleagues and coworkers, were you looked upon in a negative way simply because you raised that question? Did your opinion about the COVID lockdowns and the mandates and the mask mandates and the vax mandates and all of that cost you any friendships? Did it put you, your job, or your livelihood in the crosshairs? A democratic republic cannot survive if people can't speak freely, particularly when there is a problem to be addressed. That the experts got it wrong, though terrible, is forgivable. What isn't forgivable is that they became totalitarian in their effort to silence anybody who dared raise a question or or ask, is this a good idea? So we're going to take that up here at Fox Across America. I'm Paul Gleiser from proud Fox Across America affiliate KTBB, Tyler Longview, Texas. I want to hear from you, 888-788-9910, 888-788-9910. I'm also going to extend to you an invitation to follow me on my, um, on my weekly column at youtellmetexas.com. And just because you might not be from Texas, you can join anyway. I want to. I say what's on my mind. You say what's on yours in response, and that's why we call it "You Tell Me Texas." All of that's going to happen here on Fox Across America with Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon. As I say, Jimmy will be. Um, he's out today. He's uh, playing a sold-out show in um, in Seattle this evening. He's also got some other things coming up, 
And I'll just let you know, if you're, if you're in the area on these, put these on your calendar. He'll be at the Santander um, Performing Arts Center in Reading, Pennsylvania on May the 6th. Tickets go on sale today. The Billheimer Capitol Theater in Clearwater, Florida, May the 20th. Tickets on, on sale today. The Adler Theater, Davenport, Iowa, that's June 3rd. The Mesa Arts Center in Mesa, Arizona, June the 10th. And the Lexington Opera House in Lexington, Kentucky on June the 24th. Tickets for all of those appearances by our main man, Jimmy Fallon, go on sale today. Um, and you, uh, if you are in that part of the world and you want to see Jimmy, and Jimmy's come to our part of the world in Texas, it's a lot of fun. It's something you want to do. Fun for everybody. So Jimmy Fallon out today, back on Monday in Seattle tonight. Me, Paul Gleiser, sitting in here on Fox Across America. More of the show's coming up. Stick around. A show so good, it moves the stock market. The Dow racing up on Jimmy's remarks. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. All right, this one's for the fellas who want to tap the brakes on the aging process. How do you do that, Jimbo? We're talking about Nugenics Total T. Okay, every day that passes by is a day that you lose testosterone, which means less muscle, less energy, less get up and go in the bedroom. That doesn't sound any fun. But are you really ready to lose your shape, your muscle, maybe even in your energy? You don't have to. Okay, you can slow it down with Nugenics Total T. Nugenics Total T, it'll boost free and total testosterone, and it'll help you get the old fire back at work, in the gym, in the bedroom. How about it? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster has Testafin, which will boost your testosterone. You know, the man hormone. How about more of that? You can try Nugenics Total T before you buy. There's nothing to lose, everything to gain. Now, get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword Jimmy. Text now. You'll get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo X, the newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you lose fat fast and get lean fast. It is absolutely free. Your complimentary sample available to you if you text 231-231 and enter keyword Jimmy. It's 231-231 and you enter the keyword Jimmy. Texting enrolls you in a recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here. Fox Across America taking your calls, 888-788-9910. Teresa, Ventura County, California. You are our leadoff caller. Hello, Teresa. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good afternoon for us here. You're, you're in California. Still morning for you. Good day. What's on your mind, Teresa? Well, you know, I was just listening to your dialogue this morning, and I think it has been very challenging, especially for California nurses, because um, in the beginning, I think a lot of us saw this unfold, and we really felt like stepping up, getting our vaccination so we could take care of our patients that, um, you know, needed us to have immunity so we could battle COVID. Um, A lot of us doodly got in line, got our vaccines, and I think a lot of us have seen um, quite a different narrative unfold, and that's what I experienced in the beginning. I was very pro-vaccine. I thought that's what we needed, and I've changed my views drastically. What, um, what, changed, very, what, very, changed, what changed your views? Why? Um, well, uh, seeing uh, the amount of patients that were vaccinated getting COVID, the ERs were not clogged with the unvaccinated like we were told. The media's uh, narrative was just dishonest. Um, the way they handled this and just had everyone terrified and glued to their TVs and spent very little time trying to educate the population on how to properly prevent 
the transmission of, of the virus. Um, it was just, you know, they were claiming people that were against the vaccine were spreading disinformation, but it was the media that was spreading disinformation. They spent no time properly educating people how to wear gloves, how to don um, and doff um, personal protective equipment. Um, there was a lot of reactions that we saw to the vaccines. We saw a lot of weird neurological stuff that wasn't really explained. Um, and then recently with our governor and the dictates that he's been handing down and then just seeing um, medical personnel and physicians being told to keep their mouth shut and their opinions to themselves about what they're seeing. And that's what's really troubling what? me. I cannot believe that physicians are being told they have to keep their mouths quiet or they're going to lose their job. They're going to have their license discipline. And it's not okay. Well, mean, no, you know, the, we the, work for the patients. The front line of medical research is what physicians see in the clinic. Right, but they're not allowed to to talk about what they've seen. They've been told they have to keep their mouths quiet and keep their opinions to themselves, even if they don't agree with what's been um, handed down as far as the policies that they have to follow. And it's it's troubling. There's a few physicians, very few are willing to speak up because they don't want to lose their jobs. They've got they've got children in school. They've got you know debt like everyone else, and uh, so they have to just kind of uh, be quiet and keep their opinions to themselves, even if they don't agree with what the state's policies have been. Well, that's totalitarian, though. <clears throat> that's totalitarian. We we're allowed to say what's on our minds. That's what that's what sets us apart. And certainly. You know, what troubles me is- Certainly yeah, a physician a clin- who's in clinic, I'm sorry to step on you, Teresa, a physician in clinical practice who has an education and expertise and experience ought to be able to say what's on his mind. Agreed. Agreed. Especially because we work for the patient. Now, obviously, hospitals employ people, but when someone comes with an emergency room or to the hospital, they are expecting that their doctor and their, their the staff taking care of them is going to do what's best for them and not what some policy dictates and so it's troubling for a lot of of people because they want to do what's best for the patient and they're told they've got to follow these guidelines that maybe they they don't feel is in the patient's best interest well one one of the things that we were told about the vaccine is it was it would prevent you from getting the the disease and that it was safe and harmless we know that it doesn't prevent transmission of the disease that much that's not debatable anymore but the, the the question is, is it safe? Have you seen vaccine injury? Yes. What sort yes, of injuries I've, have you seen? Um, I've seen, and most of the people that have had uh, severe reactions to the vaccine are usually people that have had immunocompromised issues like autoimmune diseases, um, asthma, things of that All nature. Right. Um, I personally have a problem with the arm that I uh, received my vaccine in, and I refused any um, boosters after that, which right. I did get um, some resistance from. But um, well, I got both vaccines. Tr- I had COVID twice. I have not had COVID uh, again, and I've refused any boosters because All right. I don't believe that they're safe or effective. Well, Teresa, I'm up against a hard break, but listen, that's great insight, and I appreciate you being the lead-off call here today. You you set the set the table nicely. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. We have Dr. Jay Bhattacharya coming up after the break at the bottom of the hour. I do hope you'll stick around. It'll be interesting.
It is Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fela here on this Friday. And joining us is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University. Uh, Dr. Bhattacharya, welcome to Fox Across America, and thanks for taking time to be with us. Thank you, Paul. Listen, I'm, I'm just to set the stage for, for people who are listening, you were one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which was issued uh, early in the COVID pandemic. Tell us what that is. So it was, it was, we wrote it in October 2020. Me, Martin Kulderoff of Harvard University and Sinatra Gupta of Oxford University, all three of us epidemiologists. What we argued was that the collateral harms from the lockdowns that had been followed was causing tremendous damage while it weren't, they actually weren't protecting anybody from getting COVID. Uh, I mean, at best, it protected the, you know, certain class of people, you know, laptop class. Uh, well, while the rest of us got COVID, the rest of the population got COVID. Um, and so we call for lifting of the lockdowns and then focused protection of vulnerable people, especially people who had a high risk of dying from COVID, like elderly people, much better protection for them while lifting the lockdowns, li- removing the lockdown-related damage. And that was it. That was the whole thing. And what happened when you issued, just what was the reaction? So first, tens of thousands of doctors, epidemiologists, and scientists, regular people signed on to it. Almost, we now have almost a million people who signed on to this the, 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 this plan for October 2020. I was one of As them. Same, I was one of them. I signed on to it. Thank you, Paul. I, I think. I mean, I think it's it's just things. It's like the old pandemic plan, which has worked for a century, respiratory virus pandemic. Um, you know, we just sort of ignored this time around. But then uh, what happened was that four days after we signed it, the head of the National Institute of Health, Francis Collins, wrote an email to Tony Fauci calling the three of us primary authors fringe epidemiologists and then calling for a devastating takedown. I mean, what happened next is almost impossible to describe. I mean, it was like a media pylon. I started getting death threats. I started getting attacks from uh, colleagues. It was just like a propaganda campaign designed to make people think this was a radical idea when it was just the old pandemic plan written up so that people could know that there were scientists who were in favor of itself. Well, then let me ask you this. Why now? Why, why, if we had a pandemic plan and dealt with it before, it's worked before, it's been kind of the, it's been accepted orthodoxy, why the totalitarian pylon? What changed? I mean, I think part of it is, you know, we'd already, we wrote in October, we'd already done a, a lockdown which had failed, and it already caused tremendous damage to children, to working class people, to the poor. There's a lot of hubris there, right? So, like, the people that were pushed that early lockdown, violating the old pandemic plans, they wanted to somehow justify, you know, it's like a gambler. You're losing money on craft. You just keep doubling down on the bet, hoping that the next time it'll work. Um, so there's part of it was hubris. Part of it is also, you know, that the the uh, the technologic like things, some things like Zoom made it possible for relatively well-off people to not lose their jobs in the lockdown. That was never possible before. And okay. so, yeah, that's a good we point. Picked, and we basically picked this policy designed to help. Those those folks at the expense of the poor, poor working class people. Um, I think in poor parts of the world, for instance, a hundred million people. The UN was saying this: a hundred million people are going to be thrown into poverty by the lockdowns, that, and that happened. Two dollars a day less of income, and hundreds of millions of people, hundred million people faced dire starvation because of the economic dislocation caused by the lockdowns. We just ignored them, while. You know, saying, okay, well, if you can order DoorDash from home and, and stay, stay home and stay safe. I mean, it's fine for for some people, but it's also the minority of the world's population, a very small one, that could afford to do that. 
Okay, and so my initial reaction to the lockdown, I heard them say, okay, for two weeks, I think it was in April, for two weeks we're all going to stay home. We're going we're gonna to allow a little moment of attenuation so that hospitals won't be overwhelmed with, with people seeking care and have to make decisions to turn people away. We're just, we're just going to flatten the curve was the, was, the, uh, was the line. So for two weeks we're all going to stay home. Was that even ever a good idea? I think that was also a mistake. Uh, in particular, the only places, there were very few places in the country that had any chance of being overwhelmed, uh, places like New York City. There, the right policy was to open up spare hospital beds in like the Javits Center, send the Mercy ship, essentially build spare capacity to uh, to deal with a surge if, there, if it showed one. Which, ne- which, think, which was never used. We, th- that happened. Right, it was right. never used. They were never used. It was never used. Um, whereas most of the country just didn't – wasn't – it hadn't spread there in most of the country yet. Um, it, it, the idea that a, you needed a nationwide lockdown to flatten the curve actually caused more deaths than you than, than it saved. How so? Because a lot of people with heart attacks stayed home and died with heart attacks. People skipped basic cancer screening for for a year or longer. The, pe- the women showing up with late stage breast cancer today because they didn't go get mammograms in 2020. Um, you know, it should have been picked up earlier. What you have is like essentially people forgot what public health is about. It's not just about one disease. It's about all all health. You can't maximize or optimize public health thinking I'm going to just focus on this one disease and think you're doing any good. You're going to end up harming more people than you help. Are there any stats on how much how much increase there was in alcoholism, drug dependency, suicide, uh, clinical depression, um, the things that seem to happen when people despair? Yeah. So, like, for instance, June 2020, those CDC did a study, a nationwide study, that found that one in four young adults had seriously considered suicide that previous month, June of 2020, just a couple of months into the lockdowns. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the alcoholism rates went through the roof. You know, we all, the, all, all those lockdowns, there was almost no traffic on the roads, right? Right. But it turned out that traffic deaths actually went up in 2020. Because people were, great, I mean, essentially, like they were, it's like death by uh, death, just death, death by driving too driving too recklessly. Uh, I mean, it drove a lot of people to, to despair. That continues to this day. Anxiety and depression are at, at, at tremendously high levels still. Um, I, I just, I mean, it was so short sighted, uh, and I don't, I don't really. I, I think the only constructive thing to do now is to is to do an, an honest evaluation. And then make sure that we have in place checks and balances so that the, the leaders who put us through this don't have the power that they had to put us through this again without significant uh, oversight the next time this happens. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University is joining us. He's an epidemiologist, wrote uh, the author of one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration uh, when they, at the outset of the COVID pandemic. So I have said, and agree or disagree, I have said that one of the things that the COVID pandemic did was activate the worst instincts of the of the l- liberal ruling class I mean I think it was partisan for sure especially in the United States but I have to say like it's funny like the left right thing is funny because you had like a Swedish public health authorities overseen by a, a 
essentially a socialist Swedish government that was fully against the lockdowns. Right. That they they adopted the standard policy. You had you had like you know it was, it was fortunately to say, but it was President Trump that instituted the, the original lockdowns and didn't lift them in the summer, even though he brought in Scott Atlas to try to try to address it. Um, but he didn't. Still didn't lift the lockdowns. Uh, and didn't didn't put in place policies that would make lockdowns much more difficult. Kept the emergency going. Uh, it it wasn't cleanly a left right thing. Of course, you have examples like Governor DeSantis, who firmly made sure the schools stayed open in the in the uh, especially in the fall of 2020 when when there was tremendous pressure to close. He kept businesses and churches open. So you have like examples of, of folks on the right doing the right thing. But you unfortunately also have folks on the right not not doing the right thing. You have folks on the left, like in Sweden, doing the right thing, and then you have the example of my my governor in California closing schools and making sure my kids don't see the, the inside of a classroom for a year and a half. Well, let's so okay. It, that's a good segue, doctor. So then let's talk about children. We we it's now pretty clear that the academic losses the children suffered are are perhaps irreparable. But aside from the academic losses, what about the the clinical impact on children who were held out of school for a year and a half? I mean, there was evidence, good evidence in social sciences before the pandemic that schooling is the best investment we make in as a society. And it's not just because it gets our kids to be able to you know be functioning members of society when they're older, though. Well, that's true. It's the, it's also a great investment in the future health of kids. Kids that skip school for even relatively short periods of time lead shorter, less healthy lives because they end up being poorer. We did that to a generation of kids, especially especially poor kids, especially minority kids were were impacted by these uh, these school shutdowns. Like we drove a generational inequality, and as a result, our kids will lead shorter, less healthy lives. One estimate published in the literature suggests that, that we cost our kids millions of life years just from the school closures in spring 2020 alone in expectation. I mean, that is uh, short-sighted. Is, it doesn't even begin to describe what we did. It is always the poor that pay, pay a disproportionate price. It always seems to be the poor who suffer the yeah. most. And the thing, the thing I, I worry about kids, I have a, an advertising client at Sylvan Learning Systems. It's busy. They're doing a booming business trying to get kids back up to grade level. But that's for the parents of children who can afford it. What about the kids who are who can't afford it? Do they ever have any shot at getting back to academic parity? Unfortunately, the answer I think is going to be very difficult. Like, what if you were 15 and then a year and a half of shutdown, and now you've aged out of school? Yeah, you know when that, you don't get that back. Or how about the five-year-old who somehow was supposed to learn how to read over Zoom? Um, I mean, we have a literacy problem in third graders. I mean, I've, t- I've had teachers c- tell me that their their third and fourth grade students don't know how to read, don't know how to do basic uh, basic addition and subtraction, are having trouble with just even even you know ba- like basic social interactions because they've been masked and, and left out of, of school for 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 so long. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how we get all of that back, and I don't think it's possible to get all of that back. But we have to try to get some of that back, and it should be as equal as we can make it. Like we need to like invest in. In, um, in poor kids, as much as, as uh, I mean, it's great that that, that the parents have the means to try to, try to fix things for their for uh, for their kids, but I think everyone deserves that. Um, and, you know, like the, the most extreme version of this is in poor countries. In Uganda, four and a half million kids never came back to school after the two years of lockdown. 
two years of, of school shutdown. Four and a half million. That's the lost generation. So, Dr. Botticelli, in the few seconds that I have left here, have you in have you in any way enjoyed any vindication? Have you been proved right, and do people recognize that? I mean, I think most people understand the lockdowns were a mistake. That there were alternate policies that would would have done better. I mean, for me, vindication. I mean, I just it's just a sad thing. Actually, I wish we had followed the traditional public health advice, and hopefully, I can um, help reform systems so that we do that in the future if we ever have another pandemic. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University, very interesting and and great stuff. Thanks for being a part of the program today, and have a great weekend. Thank you, Paul. There he goes, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Here we go. We'll go to the break and more of the show coming up. Fox Across America with the Paul Glasser sitting in. It's coming. Stay with us. You're listening to the most relatable man on the radio. Best way to describe him is to say he's the typical boy next door. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. On a Friday afternoon, we're talking about the uh, the totalitarian response to the uh, COVID pandemic and what a bad idea all of that was. Dr. Marty McCary, a Fox News contributor, uh, joins us uh, on the line. Doctor, welcome. Thanks for being a part of the program today. Great to be with you. Hey, listen, I want to play something that you said, and I want you to talk about it. Cut six. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews, and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. To whom did you say that, doctor? So I testified before Congress this week, and that's where those comments were made, and I I really do believe them. I think the American public has been lied to over and over again, not using the best information they had at the time. And, you know, we didn't know and the research wasn't done. We're talking months and years after the research was definitive. They held on to these archaic COVID policies in the face of scientific data. And that was what crossed the line. That was intellectually dishonest. I have said, and you please, and I just was speaking with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya in the previous segment. I said this to him. I think that the COVID pandemic activated the worst totalitarian instincts of the ruling class. What say you? Well, public health officials got they got the keys to the kingdom, and they didn't want to give them back. So all of a sudden, all decisions in America were made by a couple epidemiologists and public health leaders, a small group of like-minded people, and they they did not want to let go. So we had basically a small group of people who know nothing about uh, jobs or the economy, about poverty and education, kids, making these sweeping decisions. And it then became political because it was all about getting it, you know, getting back at the people you don't like politically by standing more firm in your position. I'm speaking to someone said I was I was never never had had a buy into the lockdowns. It always just felt wrong to me, and I said the lockdowns are going to do more harm than good. And the person on the other side of the question says, "Well, how can?" As I said I also said the lockdowns are cause, going to cause enormous enormous economic damage, and the person said, "How can you choose money over lives?" And the answer is that in order to live, you need money. 
Well, people don't just die from viral transmission. They die from poverty. They die from hopelessness. They die from substance abuse. And they die from having their livelihoods ripped out from under them after they've worked so hard to build a business, to serve as a soldier in the military, to build a career as a teacher, to uh, work as a nurse, to go to school where you may get your school lunches, and that is the primary uh, form of nutrition for a large fraction of the population. When you rip all of that out, not for a week or two until we figure things out or until the hospitals can decompress in New York, but for three-plus years, I mean, for the love of humanity, my own university, Johns Hopkins, will not allow a kid to go to summer, a summer program unless they've been boosted. Now, we're, that data is two years outdated that a booster reduces transmission. So they are holding on with a tight grip, and that, in my opinion, is what is unforgivable. That is intellectually dishonest. Yet a group of economists at your university uh, this time last year uh, published a study that said that the uh, econ- that the shutdowns were in in the in the net not effective at stopping COVID. Well, the new way in which public health discussions happen is that people point to their own flimsy, shoddy research and they ignore the research of other people, even if it's more conclusive. Now, that report out of Johns Hopkins you're referring to was incredibly conclusive. It was detailed. It was, it was unbelievable, the mountain of data they had showing that the lockdowns were essentially ineffective. But I would point to something very simple. And I, got about, were, and I got about 20 seconds. The schools were open free and clear in Europe throughout. That says a lot right there. And Sweden had roughly half the mortality of Michigan, despite the same population and same proportion of elderly people. Well, there was... That that alone speaks volumes. We became totalitarian, and you couldn't say anything in opposition. And that's the thing that bothers me the most. Not that they got it wrong, but that you couldn't say anything. Dr. Marty McCary, thanks a lot for being a part of the program. Appreciate your insight. Great to be with you. More of the program coming up after the top of the hour. Hope you'll stick around. It's Paul Gleiser for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America on your Friday. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy here on Fox Across America, your Friday, and want to hear from you at 888-788-9910. If you were listening in the first hour, we're talking about the fact that it's becoming increasingly clear that two things happened with respect to the COVID pandemic. Number one, the experts got it wrong. There was no reason for the mask mandates. The lockdowns were a bad idea. The vaccination, the, 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 the mighty vax, not only did it not prevent the transmission of the disease, there's a study that says it actually makes it more likely to get the disease. That came from the Cleveland Clinic, no less. And the second thing that happened with respect to COVID is the totalitarian instincts of a small number of people pervaded the country. A tiny, tiny number of people were, were asserting so much control 
over the economy and our lives that our very civil liberties were taken away from us with no operation of any legislature whatsoever. Not the Congress, not our local legislatures, not our even our our, our county governments and city governments. We were simply put under what amounted to house arrest with no constitutional authority, and anybody who dared raise an objection was subject to to sanction up to including losing jobs. What do you think about all of that? Let's amplify on that. 888-788-9910. 888-788-9910. Were you personally impacted? Were, was your job put in jeopardy? Was was your standing in your social social circle uh, put in jeopardy? Did you lose friends over your beliefs with respect to the COVID pandemic? Now that we are learning that those of us who opposed the lockdowns and who opposed mandatory masks and mandatory vaccine, now that we are learning that we were probably right, there's some vindication. Can we say out loud, this is what happened to me for thinking that at the time. 888-788-9910. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon. I'm from KTBB, Tyler Longview, Texas, a proud early adopter of Fox Across America and a real good friend of Jimmy. Saw him last night before he bailed out of town to go to Seattle. He's appearing to a, on a, a sold-out comedy show tonight on the uh, Laughs and Liberty Tour and on that subject. Jimmy will be performing uh, through the spring into the summer, and I'm going to tell you where. Tickets are on sale. Uh, the Santander Performing Arts Center in Reading, Pennsylvania. That's May 6th, if you're in that part of the world. Clearwater, Florida, the Billheimer Capitol Theater, May 20th. The Laughs and Liberty Tour with uh, Jimmy and, um, and, and Kennedy, the K-Train, as he calls her. Adler Theater, Laughs and Liberty Tour, Davenport, Iowa, June 3rd. Uh, the Mesa Arts Center. June 10th in Mesa, Arizona, and the Lexington Opera House in Lexington, Kentucky on June 24th. Tickets for all of these go on sale today. You can you can simply Google the Laughs and Liberty Tour. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Jimmy is great on stage. It's, he's a, a, a live in-person event. Jimmy is fantastic. I've had him in East Texas. He's been, a, been an absolute hit. So that's how you do that. Meanwhile, I want to hear from you. 888-788-9910, 888 888- Seven eight eight ninety nine ten. I know that in my own social circle, I have friends of mine, friends that I considered you know good friends, disagreed with my position on COVID. I I resisted with every fiber in my body, having my civil liberties just taken away from me in the name of uh, what I consider to be some sketchy conclusions. Uh, with respect to how to respond to a pandemic. We have never in our history, and I did a lot of research when COVID first hit our shores in March of 2020, going all the way back to the flu pandemic of 1918. We have never, we have never quarantined the healthy. We've quarantined the sick. This time we quarantined the healthy. Everything about that felt wrong to me. And in, in, in some cases, I dared to say it out loud, and the the blowback was unbelievable. But here's the thing. Our own government suppressed our own speech. People in power suppressed our First Amendment rights to speak our minds. And that's the thing that's even worse than getting COVID policy wrong is the instinct to suppress any sort of dissenting debate. That's not who we are as Americans. 
That's not how it should work. What do you think? 888-788-9910. Rob in Los Angeles, you're next, and you're up on Fox Across America. Hello, Rob. Thanks for joining us. Hey. Hey, thank you for getting my call. Uh, Yeah, so I was telling your uh, uh, person before, uh, pretty much I work for a law enforcement agency in Los Angeles, pretty much one of the biggest sheriff's department. So you could figure out which one that is. Okay. And uh, we were threatened by the Board of Supervisors and also through the agency that, uh, you know, if we do not, um, you know, uh, cooperate with the mandate and take the shot, then we can uh, possibly be terminated for not taking the shot. And uh, they gave us all kind of problems, uh, you know, through our uh, through our years of this whole COVID pandemic, and uh, we had no say whatsoever. And our union didn't do much about it either um, because our hands were tied because of the Board of Supervisors, California, just the whole socialist agenda, basically. So well, here's the thing, Rob, that, that I observed about California, because you know I've, I'm, I'm in this business. I talk about things for a living. I was watching all of this. The thing that struck me is that California, one of the strictest lockdown states in the union, didn't do much better, if any, with respect to COVID COVID transmission and COVID mortality than mostly free, unlocked down Florida. Yes, it's 100 percent true. And so when it was becoming clear that uh, that the huge economic impact that lockdowns imposed were not doing any offsetting good. It should have been okay to point that out and say it out loud, yet you weren't allowed to. What would have happened to you right. if you'd gone to your if you'd have jumped up and down and said, I disagree with this policy, you working for a law enforcement agency? I possibly would have been written up. I possibly would have uh, got an IA on me uh, all the way up to termination. I mean, they, you know, they... Unfortunately, the Board of Supervisors and whoever else was making these decisions were not uh, smart, uh, not educated enough, and, uh, and they didn't care. I think it was all about money, and, you know, they just wanted to do whatever Dr. Fauci Alchi wanted, and, uh, <laughs> and they pretty much, you know, ruined everybody's lives. People that I know on my force uh, never wanted to take the shot. And some of them are having some issues, medical issues. And, of course, the agency is not going to take care of it. The county is not going to take care of it, you know. So now they're stuck, you know, dealing with their own medical issues. And uh, I didn't do it. I said, nope, I'm not doing it. You can fire me. Do whatever you like. I'll go somewhere else. Are you still Are you still employed in the department you were in before COVID? Yes. Okay. Well, at least, yeah. well, good. At least, um, at least you didn't uh, lose your job, Rob. Well, listen. First of all, be yeah. careful out there, and thanks for your call. Thank you. All right, eight 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 seven eight eight ninety nine ten. Bob, Roxbury, Vermont. Bob, you're uh, up on Fox Across America. Bob, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Paul. Yeah, um, I didn't want to take the shot, but I did because my the girl that was living with me was susceptible to pneumonia, so I thought I'd get a Moderna shot. It, now I have half a pancreas. Within two days of getting the shot, I was in the ER with severe acute pancreatitis and it attacked my pancreas. I've been in and out of the hospital 
I've lost probably three months worth of work over the time. Uh, I'm severely restricted on what I can eat. They can't perceive any more than they have. Um, there's nothing they can do for me. Now I'm stuck. I, I got all these hospital bills. I, I, I have no recourse with Moderna. Nope, nope. And I'm just, you, I'm, you I'm, I'm just a little bit pissed off at the way it went. What, what, so you, you weren't forced by an employer. You did it to, to accommodate somebody in your, uh, in, your, in your living situation. Correct. Right. Uh, my employer pushed me and pushed. They pushed all of us. And the first time in my life, I've been declared essential. Um, I stayed at work. But yeah, they were pushing us to get it, and that's another reason I got it. And um, damn, I wish I never did because now I'm paying for it. Well, I hate to hear that, Bob, and I really do. And so, are you? You basically subject to pancreatitis the rest of your life? Absolutely. And where I live, I live out in the woods. I have an outhouse. It's 80 feet from my outhouse to my to my house in the middle of winter it's not fun running out there at three in the morning because my pancreas is acting up um Ooh. Ooh. and the doctors all doubted me they said i either was a drug a druggie or an alcoholic and well i was pulling into the hospital one day and my daughter sent me a text from uh, mayo clinic advising their doctors that if people get a shot that uh check their pancreas if they have stomach pain because it causes pancreatitis but nobody wants to admit it nobody it's just all swept under the rug. Yeah, and that's the thing. All of this stuff should be out in the open. We should be talking about it in a in a free society. The knowledge should be widely dispersed, and it should be okay to say it out loud. Hey, Bob, appreciate your call. And listen, I wish you the very best. I'm sorry for your suffering. Suffering. I hope hope things work out. Eight 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 seven eight eight ninety nine ten. We're in Venice, Florida. Bruce, you're next on Fox Across America. Hello, Bruce. Hello. How are you today? Great, thank you. So, what's on your mind? Well, a little hair and a lot of dandruff for starts. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, I, that's uh, good. <laughs> I I have researched uh, pretty thoroughly masks, and uh, where I found most of my information was through OSHA. Um, you know, OSHA takes pretty good care of safety with with uh, right. the whole industry situation and so on. And what they basically said, there's only one mask that works at all, and that would be the M25. Anything else is a joke. Uh, I have a I have a little saying that I say that wearing a mask is like putting a chain link fence around your yard to keep the mosquitoes out. <laughs> yeah. Because well, they just do not work. Well, the, and the worst the worst one of all. Is a, is a surgeon's mask. The surgeon's mask kills more people than anything. Well, I don't know the specifics on that, but I do know that the Cochrane Library, which is the gold standard of medical databases, published a review of dozens of randomized controlled trials showing that masks make little or no difference in the transmission would, of COVID. I mean that that yeah. they they said it, and as I say, it's the it it. Now the research is in. When we started all of this, we didn't have any research. We didn't have any. We're now looking backwards with, with admittedly perfect uh, clarity with hindsight. But the masks were a, were and are a waste of time. A mask in an OR in a in a clinical setting 
in a, in a controlled environment, of course, a mask works. But walking around with a mask on your face that you keep wadded up in your pocket when you're by yourself, that has the, the research is in on that. Masks didn't do a thing except inconvenience people. And with respect to kids in school, it caused them to be late in learning to speak properly and learn and, and, and late in, in interpersonal relationships from being unable to see facial expressions. Masks did in the in the net more harm than good. Hey, great stuff. Appreciate your call, Bruce. 888-788-9910. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon. More of your calls coming up after the break. Don't go away. It's the show that leaves you hungry for more. We'll probably sit around and cook some soup, eat bread and desserts, and just get all fat and sassy. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. One of my favorite things about sitting in for Jimmy is I get to talk to people from all over the country. That is, it is so much fun hearing from voices uh, of far and flung, uh, far and, and far flung from where I normally operate, which is from KTBB Radio, Tyler Longview, Texas. And so we're going to do that right now. Christian, Antrim County, Michigan. You're next on Fox Across America. Christian, what's on your mind? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I, when I was uh, talking to the screener, I was referring to uh, the amount of pressure we got from both our governor, uh, the health departments, emergency managers. So it came from every direction that we had to deal with, including our schools. You know, in, in, in Michigan, the governor, her, her mandates got overruled, uh, ruled unconstitutional by Michigan State uh, Supreme Court. And, and within those rules were the guidelines that they put place for what we could and couldn't sell, who was uh, who was not considered essential and who was. I was a business owner that had a gas station convenience store, so I was one of the lucky ones to be considered essential. Um, and the people came from droves, by the way, later in the spring, uh, once the true fear settled, and they came into my business, and I did everything that would be considered, you know, normal. You put the... Put, you know, make sure everything was clean, provide provide hand towels and all that stuff. But I didn't go crazy and do the mask thing. I refused. And people will come walk into the door with their mask, look at me and take it off and go, thank God, someone's normal up here. Well, and my business thrived through the whole summer as a result of that. Well, well, good for you. And here's the thing is all these people deciding, the, the officials, quote, unquote, deciding for themselves who is essential and who is not, what you can do, what you cannot do, there was no operation of any legislature that did any of that. They took it upon themselves. And I say it triggered the totalitarian instincts in some people. And that's what was scary to me about all of it. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was a county commissioner during that same period. And uh, our emergency manager decided to release a bunch of guidelines for businesses reopening. And what's his constitutional authority to do that? They didn't really have it, but they just thought they, they portrayed it as, well, these are just uh, uh, suggested guidelines. Well, no, they're not. Once the Board of Commissioners adopts them as guidelines, they become, you know, whoa, sorry, someone just cut me off. Uh-oh. Um, careful, careful, careful. <laughs> um, they become, you know, a, a, a local uh, ordinance of sorts. So there was the health department, the health officer, and the things they did at our schools, we our, our, our boardroom was filled with students 
on more than one occasion begging us to do something at the health, health department level to stop them from doing what they're doing at their schools. It was just a nonstop battle. The, and the th- again, the the fact that that unelected officials in government who never faced the voters would arrogate to themselves the authority to tell people how to behave and what they can and cannot do. I think it it empowered people with with power they thought they would they never dreamed they would have, and. And many many people acted with in, in that situation acted with with great restraint and with great responsibility, but for some in and in, in, in too many cases, it just brought out the worst in them. And that's the thing that really bothered me most about the about the COVID pandemic was one how willingly people were how willing people were to take away our civil liberties and how willing we were to have them taken away. That I think is the worst of it. Listen. Uh, Christian, appreciate your call and 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 good for you uh, there in uh, in Michigan and thanks for being a good leader. Eight 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 seven eight eight ninety nine ten. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America, and I want to hear from you. Eight 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 seven eight eight ninety nine ten. More of the show coming up, and we have um, we have at the bottom of the hour we have uh, Tom Tiffany from um, from Wisconsin. So I hope you'll stick around. More of the show's coming. Don't go away. Midway through Hour 2 of Fox Across America, Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon. On the line with us is uh, Congressman Tom Tiffany from the 7th District of Wisconsin. Uh, Congressman, welcome. Thanks for being a part of the program. Paul, it's great to join you today. Hey, listen, you sit on judiciary. Just a moment, just a little personal moment here. You have a new member of your committee. Is my congressman from uh, East Texas, uh, Nathaniel Moran. He's a good guy. Take care of him for me, will you? Nathaniel's going to be a terrific member of the Judiciary Committee and the House of Representatives. Yeah, well, he and I had a great hangout together on uh, what has been would have been Tuesday night. Oh, no, sorry, Wednesday night. We went to a Library of Congress event in Washington honoring Joni Mitchell. He's just a great guy. I've known him a long time, and so I'm glad you think so because we think he's a great guy in East Texas. But you know, big big shoes to fill. Um, Following Louis Gohmert, right? Yes, following, following, following Louis Gohmert from the first district of Texas. Listen, I want to play a piece of audio from you for you, and then I want to get your reaction to it. Uh, it's Bill Barr uh, speaking on the Larry Kudlow show on the Fox uh, Fox Business Network, and um, here's what he had to say. Cut one. I think. I mean, I've been surprised we haven't seen more reaction against this. As I point out, just the overdose deaths are now at the level of the bloodiest year of World War II mm-hmm. for U.S. casualties. Mm-hmm killed in action. So we are we are sustaining direct damage akin to a global war every year from these uh, criminal organizations, terrorist organizations operating in safe havens right across our border. They now control our border. Uh, and, you know, how long can we put up with that? Uh, I do think this is not like World War II rolling tanks across the border. You know, we have the ability, once we gather intelligence, to deal much more precisely uh, and use our, all our tools, our criminal justice tools, our military tools, our intelligence tools, our economic tools. So, Congressman, we, we've been talking in the first uh, half of the show about the, uh, the government's now increasingly seen and proved as incorrect response to COVID. 
And then we have the entirety of the of this the the human catastrophe that is our southern border. Why can't we get anything right? So uh, Attorney General Barr asked the question, how long are we going to stand for this? And then he dances around the issue. It's very simple. As soon as Democrats and President Biden say, we're going to control the border, then we're going to be able to control fentanyl. Because, I mean, there's various proposals that are out there um, to deal with this issue, but they all just chip around the edges, Paul. They don't get to the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is that on January 20th of 2021, President Biden announced that we're going to have open borders and the world heard us. And the world is coming through our borders, 126 different countries coming through the Yuma sector alone here. And until Democrats say we are going to secure the border, that is when we're going to be able to control fentanyl because the rest of it isn't going to work. And at that same hearing, I hope you heard how the doctor from my home state of Wisconsin, Dr. Westlake, emergency room doctor, he referred to these as chemical executions. These are poisonings of the young people across America. Well, and here's the thing. We talk about open borders. You've got to say, okay, why do the Democrats, why does this administration why do they want a border policy that is anybody that wants to can come in when it would seem to me that it's causing them political harm? In my own state of Texas, the border counties along, along the, the Mexico border in Texas that have long been dark blue are turning purple because of the fact that this influx of people is so negatively impacting lives there that it's causing people who have voted for Democrats all their lives to rethink their vote. So if it's not helping them politically, then why are we doing it? Because when you look at the results in November, Joe Biden was and his team were holding their breath, going, great, are we going to have a wipeout here? The wipeout didn't happen. In fact, they gained a seat. And you can see it in President Biden's demeanor after November. I mean, there was a, um, a bit more of a hop in his stride. I mean, he was uh, really energized by that. They're saying politically, look at Democrats. You thought we were, this was going to be a serious problem for you. It turns out that it's not. I believe Democrats are saying, see, this is not as big a political problem as you may think that we have this open border policy here in America. Yet I can tell you, because again, I'm monitoring my own state, those counties are moving moving to the right, not to the left, because they're having to live with the consequences. So I'm, I'm uh, long-term, I question their assumptions on that. Tom Tiffany, congressman from sure. the 7th District of Wisconsin, is with us. So we, we're going to be, we're, we're going to have a Democratic administration for at least two more years. There's, you're not going to change them. What can be done, if anything? Here's what needs to be done. So we've had, you know, we've got great leadership in the Judiciary Committee. Jim Jordan's our chairman. We went down to Yuma um, a week ago, had a great hearing down there where we're going to talk to the, the American people. We have a series of bills that are teed up to secure the border. And let's emphasize here, Paul, you know, people always talk, well, what are you going to do about illegal immigration? That's not what we're dealing with here. We're talking about first step, secure the border. Then you decide what the immigration levels are for America. We are teeing up a group of bills to secure the border. And I hope 
that in the next month or two, we're going to be able to get them through the Judiciary Committee and get to them to the floor of the House of Representatives. Because if we can get to 218, Paul, if we can get to 218 on this package of bills to secure the border, it will send a powerful message to America that the House of Representatives is prepared to act on this. And I believe we're going to put some Democrats in a very difficult position because your point was accurate in regards to the border communities in Texas. And Texas is actually shifting um, down on the border. But the rest of the country, Democrats are saying, we're, this issue is not hurting us. But I believe that we can put um, especially some senators who are up for re-election, like right in my state, Senator Baldwin, we can put them in a very difficult political spot with a good policy to secure the border. But you, do you think you're ever going to get to the 60 it'll take to get it out of the Senate? And do you think you will then put Biden in a position of signing anything? You know, that, that'll um, – yeah, you're absolutely right that getting to 60 will be very difficult. Chuck Schumer will do everything possible to prevent that from happening. But then you have the political issue. I mean, just think, you pass this legislation – it puts a real stress on the executive branch that, you know, maybe we need to do something here. I mean, take a look at this Washington, D.C. bill that President Biden just reversed course on on the last two days where we put a bill forward. We didn't think it was probably going to go that far. It passed the House um, in regards to the city council going to no bail and things like that. And we put a bill forward because we have control over Washington, D.C. to say, no, we're not going to have this week on crime um, um, statutes and uh, laws in the um, in the in the community of Washington, D.C. President Biden re uh, reversed course and said he's going to sign that bill after Joe Manchin announced that I'm going to vote for this bill. So it's really important that we keep the political pressure up. At this point, Paul, on a variety of fronts, whether it's fiscal responsibility, energy independence, or the border, we have to continue to keep up the pressure, pass the stuff out of the House, and I think some of this stuff we may be able to get done over the next two years. Congressman Tom Tiffany from Wisconsin, I'm going to shift gears on you here. I want to, you're talking about legislation. Let's move to oversight. I think COVID revealed COVID and the 2020 election, and 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 actually COVID and the 2016 election. The entirety of the Trump presidency, and then into the 2020 election, revealed two things. Number one, the the federal government has a a really really wide totalitarian streak in it now, and number two. It's willing to weaponize itself against the American citizens, as evidenced by the actions of the FBI and the DOJ. Your thoughts? Yeah, this is the critical. Um, this is a really good segue on your part, Paul, because we talked about legislation that we can pass. The other half of this, and it's the, uh, another critical half of what we need to do, is oversight. And that is going on as we speak with the Oversight Committee under Chairman Comer. But we need to be doing it in all committees. I sit on Natural Resources also. We need to be doing it there also. And we should be doing it in judiciary, and we will be. I think the FBI and the DOJ, uh, I think you're going to see us uh, conducting our oversight responsibilities in regards to that. I think that is coming. And I believe the Oversight Committee itself it needs to deal with COVID. But on the issue of COVID and the response to it, we have to get to the bottom of this. 
because this was deadly for Americans, and we're finding them. The reversals are coming one after another each week, aren't they, Paul? Yes, Where, it, it, it started as a trickle is becoming a flood. Absolutely true. And we have to get accountability for those people that were in government-run health care, the CDC, the FDA, and how they weaponized they weaponized COVID against the American people with deadly consequences at, at this point. I, I, I got to tell you, we have to get to the bottom of all these cases of myocarditis and uh, what has happened as a result of forcing people to take the jab. I believe, uh, I mean, one thing that I would like to see is people should be able that got the jab, they should be able to get a free physical. They should be able to get a free physical from their health care provider to see if they've been harmed by the jab. We've seen the VAERS data, which is off the charts as far as the harm that this jab did. We have to continue to do the oversight on this and get to the bottom of it. And then most importantly, and what I hear from my constituents all the time, there needs to be consequences for those that lied to the American people. Well, and that's the thing. Here's the cynic in me, Congressman. You know, there's how I've lived long enough to have seen ten zillion congressional hearings, and it seems that little ever comes of them. And so, how do you get accountability? Yeah, that's the part that is so frustrating. I hear it from my constituents all the time. All we can do is continue to expose what is going on, and and hopefully the American people are following it. But that's why you see the progressives and the Democrats, they shout us down as much as they can, because they don't want the American people to see that, you know, there is information out there that is relevant to this. Let's all just stay in our corners, whether uh, Democrat or Republican, and not meet in, in the middle and and, and try to understand what has happened here. But as long, we have to continue to get more information out there. If I could just go another second here on sure. that issue. Yeah. In 2016, in 2016, candidate Donald Trump exposed the swamp. I mean, he highlighted it for the American people. I think we're still in that phase seven years later where the American people are finding out what their federal government, what their government is actually doing to them, that their government is not serving them anymore. They're expected to serve this elite class out in Washington, D.C. I think we're still exposing it, Paul. Um, and it's important that we continue to do that so the American people understand how deep and wide the swamp is. On my own radio station this morning, before I came on the here on the air here on the, on the nationally syndicated show, on my own radio station this morning, I said that the permanent federal bureaucracy has become a government unto itself, which is completely antithetical to our Constitution uh, and certainly activates totalitarian instincts in people who never face the voters. And so, and, and then I read a piece, and see if you agree or disagree with this in the, about a minute we have left. Uh, I read a piece yesterday, I can't remember who wrote it, that says the FBI may be beyond redemption and maybe have to be taken apart and put back together again. What do you say? 
Um, that very well may be the case. I mean, look, we have to do a reauthorization in regards to FISA this year. It is up for reauthorization. I can tell you at this point, I don't think it's savable. I don't think that we can keep FISA with how it's been used, how it's been weaponized against the American people. I got to tell you, Paul, um, I don't know if some of these agencies and some of these arms of government, um, I don't know if we can save them at this point. In the case of FISA, I'm probably going to vote to eliminate I got to see more information, but I'm probably going to vote to end FISA. Well, that would be a good thing, and you know, and believe it or not, shame on me when it when it was first authorized in the wake of 9/11. I said, okay, well, that's a reasonable thing. I regret having ever said that. Listen, Congressman Tom Tiffany, you've you've provided some great insight here today, and hope you have a great weekend. And once again, take care of my buddy Nathaniel Moran, and thank you for for being a part of the program. Yeah, it's great to join you today, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman Tom Tiffany from from Wisconsin's 7th District. There he goes. Here we go. More of the show, including your calls at 888-788-9910. It's Fox Across America. Paul Gleiser sitting in. Stay put. The show that loves you like a sibling. We'll always be brothers. It's Fox Across America with brother Jimmy Fallon. Fox Across America, Paul Gleiser sitting in, wrapping up Hour 2. But the good news is there's another hour coming. We're taking your calls at 888-788-9910. Benny, Macon, Georgia. Benny, you are next on Fox Across America. Thanks for your patience and what's on your mind. Hey there, Paul. I appreciate it. The congressman got me fired up almost on a different Well, Well, tell you what, the, the floor is yours. Go, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, one of your previous callers was talking about the essential businesses and things of that nature. And I've got a twofold um, story here, and it's not very uncommon from others. So it's not poor, pitiful me. I just wanted to share my opinion. I feel All right. like it's almost a therapy session. All right. Uh, I'm a partner in a couple of small businesses who were the businesses were considered non-essential, I guess you could say. Uh, one being a uh, car dealership and one being a service center. And we had 24 families at the time depending on us to basically put food on their table. Which makes it, and, by, de- which makes it by definition an essential business. Absolutely. So we chose, my partner and I got together and with some of the leaders in the company and said, you know what, we're not closing. They can come shut us down. They can do whatever they need to do. But fortunately, we're in a, a nice conservative area in, in uh, Warner Robins, Georgia, is where the businesses are. And we, we just refused. We didn't do the whole mask thing. We just kind of went the course, to, you know, took our own approach of safety, which is normal, everyday common sense. And we, we had a tough time. I mean, we literally had to take loans out to, to keep these people on payroll because yep. you just can't. You can't find it in your heart to say, "Hey, look, you guys got to go." You, if you and, own a, if you own a business, it's the source of the food on your table, and the and the source of the clothes on your back, and the roof over your head, and the source of those same things for the people that work for you. It is by definition an essential business, and the idea that unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats make up a list of what they think is essential and what is not essential is antithetical to the American way of life. It's unconstitutional. It's wrong, and it should never have happened. Benny, I'm glad you had 
the uh, the fortitude to stand up for American liberty. You're a good man and a great patriot, and thanks for your call. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. We have the third hour coming up, the, which will include Jimmy Fallon himself, and will include at the bottom of the hour Brian Kilmeade, a co-host of uh, Fox and & Friends and the uh, Brian Kilmeade Radio Show. All of that's coming up, including more of your calls at 888-788-9910. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon. Stick around. There's a lot more to come. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yes, it is. It's Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America, coming to you from the tippy-tippy top of the world-famous Fox News headquarters in New York. Jimmy's out today. He is in Seattle Got a show tonight. Got a lot of things Jimmy Fallon coming up, including Jimmy on the show here in about 15 minutes. But meanwhile, it's you and me and your thoughts at 888-788-9910. Scott's on the line. Scott, you are next on Fox Across America. Hello, and thanks for joining the program. Hey, Paul. How are you? Scott, tell us where you're from because I lost the call screen. You're, you are from? Olympia, Washington. Olympia, Washington, not far from where Jimmy is uh, right now. So yeah. what's on your mind there in Olympia, Washington? So- I just can't believe you guys haven't figured out what our government's doing. They hate us. They hate elections. They hate anybody who knows the history of the country. That's why the southern border's wide open. That's why they talk about packing the Supreme Court, making D.C. and Puerto Rico a state, which they're starting to try to do now. But uh, I just can't believe we haven't learned from our history. Uh because back in 1968, in a place called Dugway, Proving Grounds, it's a biological and chemical weapons testing facility, they, they killed 6,000 sheep. Uh, and what they said was it was a weed bloom back then. And that's all these people do is biological chemical weapons testing. But what that happened was is they released... VX gas at high altitude had drifted 50 miles off the base in the middle of the night and killed these 6,000 sheep. But there was a huge debate in Congress about this, and they said that they would not allow any biological weapons testing in the United States anymore. But we don't learn from our history. But you got Mr. Science that funded those labs in Ukraine, and he's funding them in China and all over the world doing this testing. This stuff will kill us all. But what they do in Dugway is they they test biosuits and respirators and stuff for the military. So I don't understand why they think a mask is going to stop a biological weapon. Well, China has... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, the, the whole thing, then we, we keep stomping on each other, and I'm sorry for that, Scott. Listen, the, the, the mask thing I never thought made any sense. I mean, I had this little little cloth mask, and the only reason it was a cloth mask is because it was the least uncomfortable mask I could find that, that, that would pass muster where I was required to wear a mask. But, my God, I can't imagine how nasty that thing was by the time I had worn it for weeks on end. And occasionally I would throw it in the wash, but I, I never in my never did I think it was doing any good, and did I think it was necessary, and that I th- that I th- did I think that masking the whole population up was going to stop the the uh, spread of COVID, and in fact it didn't. We, COVID spread anyway. Right. Uh, well, 
we had it kind of under control until they opened that southern border and not testing all the people coming in. Then it was everywhere. You know, and how does a pandemic get everywhere all at once? Well, well it, they're flying. They're flying people all over the country and dropping them off. You know, I'll I'll give I'll give them this much credit. I think when the when the when that virus got loose in uh, in Wuhan, China, I think it was inevitable. It was going to spread everywhere, one way or the other. So you know, I'll say, okay, fine. Uh, it's uh, it's it could have come through the southern border. It came through the Pacific Northwest, is what you know, the the thinking is. It, it doesn't make any difference. It was going to get here. But you said something at the top of the uh, top of your call that I think is important. You talk about they hate elections. Yeah, you know, Thomas Jefferson said the natural progress of things is for liberty to yield and government to gain ground. We have a permanent federal bureaucracy that has become effectively a government unto itself and it never faces the voters and it's really it's 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 not accountable to presidents because presidents come and go and it's not accountable to the to the congress because the congresses come and go the permanent federal bureaucracy is in my opinion the greatest threat to our way of life that we currently face it has gotten so big that nobody can control it right so let's talk about immigration. So why is it why isn't somebody petitioned the Supreme Court about birthright citizenship? Like I was born in France, my dad was in the military, but I wasn't born on a base. I had to go through New York. They had to hold me up in front of the judge and say, "This is my son." Well, okay, and why is why is it that you know we've got illegal immigrants here, and they have a child? And then that child was considered a U.S. citizen. If you're in this country illegally and you have a child, that child is a citizen of the origin of your country. They are not U.S. citizens. And we need the Supreme Court. We need to petition the Supreme Court about birthright citizenship, and it'll end this migration stuff, this immigration stuff. I mean, how is it fair that these kids are getting $15,000 per year, K through 12, Right. Plus welfare till they're 18. And yet our seniors are paying for a supplemental insurance. And now in my state of Washington, they're paying for illegal immigrant health care. How is that fair to every citizen in the United States that have paid in the system? And here's another one. So if you you marry a foreign national and you're in the military and she becomes or he becomes a U.S. citizen when their parents turn 65, they're allowed to come here and collect Social Security. Okay. That's not right. Okay, well, but, that is not right. Well, but, but let me let, let's let's climb up to a, a, a little bit higher altitude. I'm I happen to be doing the show from the studio here in New York City. I normally would when I fill in for Jimmy, do it from my own radio station in Texas, but I'm here in New York. And um, one of the things that, that really worth you doing in New York, if you want to learn about immigration, if you want to have a perspective on immigration, is to go to Ellis Island. Fantastic exhibit there. And it's really a great – my wife and I spent a day there on a cold, rainy day in New York when there wasn't anything better to do. You couldn't walk around. You couldn't you know, walk up and down Fifth Avenue and shop. You couldn't do things outside. So we went to Ellis Island. And a great exhibit uh, you know, inside Ellis Island is uh, – a thing on how when immigrants legally came through Ellis Island, there was a display on what America did to teach those immigrants about America so they would adopt our our, our 
constitutional ideals, adopt our culture, adopt our way of thinking about government so that they would become assimilated into the American ethos. There was a concerted effort by the government in in accepting immigrants through Ellis Island to make them into Americans who appreciated America. We don't do that now. And we have we we're in we're we're no longer a melting pot. We're becoming a salad bowl, where we have these enclaves of of immigrants coming and claiming our benefits, but not being willing to adopt any of the things about which uh, uh, that are part of our part of our culture and part of our belief. They get to import their own country and live off of us. And it it is it's a, a path toward balkanization. It's not how immigration is supposed to work. And it goes back to where they don't want anybody to notice the history of this country. And they say that we're all racist. Well, we don't get to pick who our parents are. We don't get to pick our nationality. We don't get to pick our sex. You know, and it's it, it frustrates me because when I was growing up in the military, I did not look at color. I mean, I played with black kids, Japanese kids. Hispanic kids, Puerto Rican kids, and we didn't care because it was just another kid to play with, you know. But this racial stuff, and think well, any, about this. Anything think about, to any, go ahead, they, finish your thought. They, 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 all these black communities live where other black people are. This country is vast, and they say, well, there's no jobs here. Well, if you live in a desert and you can't grow food, do you stay there or do you move? You know, I just don't get it. Well, I don't look, understand it. We have a race problem in the United States. We, 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 as a country, did not do our best and did not live up to our ideals early in our history. You know, we allowed slavery, servitude, which is abhorrent and wrong. We allowed it to persist. We did away with it within within one human lifetime of our founding, it should be noted, and we did away with it on our own. We did not have to be invaded to do away with it, and there is not a single place in the country where discrimination by race is legal, and the United States has freed more people from the bonds of, of, um, of slavery and, and, and lifted more people out of poverty than any other country in the United States. In any other country in, in all of history, I should say, the United States is on balance net a force for good in the world, and yet everything now is being reduced to if you object to something, somebody says you're a racist. They just drop the racist card. And America is the least racist country. There are places in, in the country in the world that are much more focused on, much more focused on race. Than, uh, than the United States. So if you say, if you say, I don't want five million people unvetted, un, we know nothing about pouring across my border in two years, that makes you a racist, then call me a racist because five million people that whose names I don't know and, and whose history I don't know and who will not contribute to society pouring across an open border, that's wrong on its face. It's not racist to object to it. Listen, Scott, appreciate your call. I got to run. 888-788-9910. Paul Gleiser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. More of the show coming up, including Jimmy. Stay with us. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. He is one of those iconic figures that fans care about. 
Fox Across America, Paul Glazer sitting in for Jimmy Fallon, but Jimmy Fallon is not to be totally missed today on this Friday. Jimmy's on the line. Hey, man. Yo, yo. Hello from Seattle. Just landed, and uh, I wanted to thank you for the booking. It's an honor to get booked on this show. Go listen. It's uh, it's hard to get on, so I'm glad you, you should you, you should count it as a real honor. Listen, hey, you're in Seattle. I've been saying that the show sold out, but that's not necessarily true. You still have tickets available tonight, right? I was told there's like 10 tickets left. Uh, How do you get them? Federal, Federal Way Performing Arts Center. I would go to their website at this point. I know it's on Ticketmaster, but it's always cheaper to go through the venue. Because, you know, Ticketmaster, it's a whole nother. They want like two ounces of bone marrow, an extra thirty-seven <laughs> fifty. You, know, you want to take true. those kind of chances. Yeah, I got to look out for my listeners. It's all true. So say, say again the venue? Uh, the Federal Way Performing Arts Center. All right, Federal bring, Way, Washington. Bring us up to speed on all things, Jimmy. You got a lot going on. What 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 else is in the offing? Well, here's the deal. Like I just really pulled out of the airport in Seattle five minutes ago, so I haven't made it downtown, which means you're talking to me while the rental car still has hubcaps on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ten minutes from now, I'm out of windshield, probably a wallet. Uh, it's dicey, Paul. I haven't been to Seattle in like 15 years, and uh, yeah, the Space Needle is now filled with heroin. It's a whole different town. They kind of let themselves go. It's but, a beautiful. Uh, is the sun out? Is the sun out or not? It is not. Okay, uh, well, that's not unusual. The sun's hardly ever out. When the sun's out, it's breathtaking. It's a beautiful city when yeah, the sun's it out. Well, it is a nice city, so I'm going to drive around and take some pictures for the Link Man while I'm out here. But um, basically, i got a night in Seattle. Then I fly down to Sacramento, 7 a.m., and I'm at the Crest Theater tomorrow night. Same deal. There's like 10 tickets left, but I'll you know tool around Sacramento for the day. And uh, the crest is actually right by the Sacramento airport. So if you just listen for the gunshots <laughs> and you follow them, you'll be at the Crest Theater. It's nice. All right, cool. And then next week you got stuff coming out, right? Oh, come on, Gleiser. Hold on. Yeah, man, you're making me feel like a professional. No, you'll um, listen. Let, let's get it all out. All things Jimmy. Let's hear it. I had this rehearsed ditty about how I was sightseeing for my kid and being responsible, making it sound like I'm not going to a gentleman's club at 1130 in the morning. Uh, but okay, yeah, I'll snap out of it. Okay. Hold on a second, Cinnabons. I'll be right with you. One sec. No, I don't need a table yet. Hold on. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, Monday comes the documentary drops. It's called The Death of Hollywood. And uh, it's basically a four-part series about how the Oscars have gone hill and box office receipts have dwindled and Hollywood's gotten too political. So next week, you know, I'll be doing radio every day, but I have to do a bunch of TV hits to promote the Hollywood thing. And it's actually like semi-serious. Like I'm like a documentarian. Like I, I almost felt like I should have been wearing a turtleneck. Before, there was a time when I met you, you couldn't even say documentarian, let alone <laughs> know what one was. So, well, so this, is, this, this, this shows how far you have come. Listen, when you talk about Hollywood, my wife and I love to go to the movies. You know, we actually yeah. like to go to the theater, sit down, in the, look at the big screen. We like going to the movies, and we would do it a lot if there were any decent movies. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. Like, they're so out of ideas. And, you know, like with this, this summer we got Top Gun, which Top Gun is not like an art film, but it's good. You know, it's a pro-American Tom Cruise is hunky. You're watching people on a plane who don't have to wear masks. It's exciting, you know. But I think most of Hollywood has just descended into what will get parents to bring their kids. Like everything is just an X-Men movie now. You know, a lot of comic book stuff. And most of what you watch, you could just watch it on a streaming service so you don't bother to go. But what happened was technology, I think, accelerated the decline of the box office. Obviously the pandemic. And then, yes, they did get, like, too political. I mean, here's the thing, man. 
You really don't want to sit through a, le- a lecture from a Hollywood celebrity about inequality when they're wearing a dress that costs more than your house. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no there's kidding. A, no kidding. Does a, a, a guy on a stage who makes $30 million a year to pretend he's a cop talking to you about inequality. I'm like, dude, the cops don't have money. You're, you're making $30 million as a pretend cop. Don't talk to me about the inequities in society. Well, and listen, you know, but, but, you know, rom-coms, you know, a man and a woman, they meet, they have some sort of a gimmick that's going on, they yada, 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 they fall in love, they're a heterosexual couple, and and they wind up falling in love, and there's the great moment at the end, and Hollywood has made billions off of rom-coms. You can't make them now because they're too heteronormative. <laughs> I know. There's that. I mean, imagine that. Like when Harry met Sally, which is like an iconic film, probably can't get made now because it's just two white people. It's like a straight white couple. Yeah. You probably Bill, Billy Crystal probably gets canceled for not having enough diversity. You know, and the the fact that she's at the Katz's Deli when she fakes the orgasm, the I'll have what she's having. The fact that it wasn't like shawarma means it's not Middle Eastern enough. And, you know, there's too many bells and whistles. So that's the thing with Hollywood now. Like, that's what's going to kill it, Paul, really quick, is they're adding this Aperture 25. This is a big part of our documentary that's starting next year in order to be eligible to win an Oscar. You have to meet a lot of diversity criteria, okay, including ethnicities, genders, transgenders, everything in between. What does that have to do with making a good movie? The answer is nothing. And that's why Hollywood sucks. Get out there and sing the hit. You know, and then and the thing is, you can give it all the awards in the world. It's not going to survive if people won't go, and people won't go if the movie's not good and if they're not entertained. And the, and one of the things that the movies is supposed to do is transport you away from the problems and the vicissitudes of your daily life, and yep. and let you have a little bit of escape and some enjoyment. If they're just going to shove social issues in your face, you can listen to this radio program and get the same thing. <laughs> But you won't always hear words as big as vicissitude. That's so. right, and that's why I raised the level of this show today. And you need you need to know that. So, well, listen, travel safe and have a you know have a great show tonight. And um, yeah, yeah. Tell and, everybody if they behave, I'll bring them back some meth from Seattle. All right, and I'm leaving all your toys here in the studio alone. I haven't touched a thing. I haven't touched a thing. Okay, it's all guy. safe. The cameras are rolling. We'll All right. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, good talking to you, man. Good hang. Talk to you soon. Safe the travels. Best. Happy Friday, everybody. All Good right. Morning. More of the show coming up after the bottom of the hour. Stay with us. Fox Across America. Fox Across America, Paul Glasser sitting in for Jimmy Fallon here on a Friday. Jimmy will be back on Monday. He's in Seattle tonight. A few tickets left for his event there. Meanwhile, joined uh, live in the studio. What an honor. Brian Kilmeade's with us. Brian, What's going on, Paul? How are you? Good, man. You and uh, Jimmy, as I'm saying off the air, the two hardest working men in this building. If you consider this work. Yeah, well, getting paid to do right. this. But that? how much clutter is he allowed to have? Uh, apparently a limitless amount. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> you know, all this stuff, you know, I, I, one of the things I was thinking is one of the things I could do is just rearrange all of it before I left and see if he noticed. I think he might notice. Is there a method to this? I mean, I know you listen to him every day. I don't know. I, it's really it's amazing. You know, if you've been in his office, his office looks like a normal guy's office. Right. 
But this not, this is nothing normal about this. And there's nothing normal about Jimmy. Nothing. Oh, let's be honest. And he would be the first to say it. Zero. No, right. And that's why we love him. Listen, we've been talking on the show today. Uh, there's a whole lot of directions you and I can go. But, you know, we've been talking about we're, we're learning day by day, it seems like, that COVID policy was wrong. Just about all of it was wrong. And, you know, and yet. Shocker. Yeah, yet it was yet the way it was imposed upon us was totalitarian in nature, and um, the government, you know, it, it seems like COVID activated the worst instincts of those who in government in government, and here we are in the aftermath with a with a government that we now know we cannot trust. How do we deal with that? I mean, there's a there's a difference between in, you know you make a mistake. Like, well, for example, Anthony Fauci comes out with John Castamatidis on now he owns WABC and he's on his roundtable and he says, "Listen, is this thing in China going to be a big deal?" And he goes, "No, it's not going to bother us here." He said that in February. Next thing you know, he's like, "Whatever you do, don't wear a mask because it gives you a false sense of security." Next thing you know, he wants he's wearing literally wearing two masks. And he never acknowledges, hey, you know, I had it wrong in February. That's when I first realized it. When you and I make a mistake, you might say, hey, you know, I parked in your spot and I was wrong. But then you imagine me walking in and go, you know, why were you parked in my spot? I never parked in your spot. So Fauci never admitted where he was wrong. He wordsmithed his way around things. He did policy by interview. He would actually change policy, judging by what time he did CNN or Neil Cavuto's show on Fox. And I was just saying to myself, why are people worshiping him? And why isn't people point, why aren't people pointing out what a political animal he is? The first thing he said when he did MSNBC was because Trump had said, I don't really want you going on all these channels. He gets on Rachel Maddow's show and said, I've been wanting to come on. You're my favorite show. Now let me ask you something. Mm. If Rachel mm. Maddow is your favorite show, is it because you love the house band? You love the way <laughs> she sings at the end? You love her comedians that come on for four minutes and when she brings them over to the couch? Or do you agree with exactly what she's saying, which is everything Republicans didn't? Well, that's absolutely true. And here's the, here's the thing that bothered me. When you and I had a conversation about this when you were in, in Texas, you know, when, when this stuff comes out, if you dare say anything uh, contrary, the viciousness of the response. Yeah. And what's so funny is uh, John Stewart complained about it. So John Stewart famously came out and said, I don't know, the novel COVID virus that launches, the no- well, where could it have come from? I don't know, maybe the lab that's one mile away right next door. And then he mocks the fact that, of course, it came from the Wuhan lab. He said by the time he got home, he was looked at as alt-right. He was vilified, said someone paid him off and put him up to it. Excuse me. We now know the lab theories appear by the FBI, Department of Energy, and any person with a brain cell. Well, what was wrong with saying it in the first place? I don't know. But you saw Colbert's face among the left that start all this cancel culture. It was like, what are you talking about? Because that's not what he's supposed to say. He's writing songs telling people to get vaccinated like he's on Sesame Street, as did Jimmy Fallon, which is nuts. You tell me Johnny Carson would have been doing that? No. Dick no, Cavett would have been no, doing that? No, none of those guys would have been doing that. And then we could, we could do a whole show on the death of late night TV, which used to be a place where all of us in America could come together. Oh, yeah. We all would talk Equal about Johnny. Offender. We Yeah, we'd all talk about what Johnny said last night. And we all, Republicans and Democrats, we all like Johnny. There's no way in the world you any of us are going to watch the late night shows unless we want Cannon Fodder to do a radio show the next day about it. Because it's, it's unwatchable. And and the thing is, you know, the late night shows quit being funny a long time ago. They just a, a monolithic one trick pony. So the so we've lost that part of the culture, 
you know, you, 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 we can't come together on the late night shows. My fear is, Brian, we can't come together on anything. We couldn't even have a debate about what is the right thing to do about a novel virus that is having a great impact on the health of the nation. We couldn't have a conversation about it. Well, it was crazy because we watched the transition of administrations in the middle of it. And I would hold this, Paul. If Donald Trump had won re-election, and do you think the left would have been making sure that everybody gets vaccinated? No. Or it would have been just the opposite. It would have been just the opposite. And if anyone died or got the swelling of the heart, the myocarditis, they would have said Donald Trump rushed the vaccine, and now people are dying and their hearts are expanding. And it would have been just the opposite. Now, when people get these symptoms, prolonged COVID, the reactions to the vaccine, no one talks about it. As if you can just say, hey, listen, we went Operation Warp Speed with our eyes wide open. We eliminated a lot of the bureaucracy involved in it in order to get a vaccine to the the American public. I think the vaccine did save lives. I think it lessened symptoms. But as the variants accelerated, it wasn't effective. And you should not be firing people for not taking it. That's one thing Trump would not have done. He wouldn't have done the mandates. He wouldn't have kicked people out of the military for not having it. That's indeed what happened. Brian Kilmeade's in the house here on Fox Across America. Paul Glazer's in again for Jimmy Fallon. One of the reasons I was willing to take the vaccine was it would reopen the economy. Absolutely. But if we hadn't shut the economy down in the first place, which it's now becoming clear we shouldn't have done. I had Jay Bhattacharya on uh, the first, uh, the second half hour of the show. You know, the Great Barrington Declaration proved to be right. We shouldn't have shut the economy down. That was the only reason I was willing to take the vaccine. If you don't do that, right. then you don't you have vaccine get your mandate. Back. You want to get your life yeah, back. Yeah, I, I told them they can inject battery <clears throat> acid into me if it'll get me my life back, if I can just go back to doing what I was doing before all of this started. I, I literally said those words because I was so tired of living in, under what amounted to house arrest. Right. In New York City, you know the size of this city. Yeah. There was one point when it was raining out that you literally could not eat in a restaurant in the biggest, most famous city in the country because it was raining. Everything was outside where they put up these little sheds where you ate in a closed environment, but you were on the street. And no one was pointing out the idiocy of it where you and I could sit and talk without a mask. But if I stood up and you stood up, we have to wear a mask. We didn't even point out this. We're gonna, they're going to look back and laugh. 14-year-old kids playing soccer with masks on outside. Nuts. Well, I said one of the ways to stop the spread of COVID is to compress your butt cheeks. Because if you walk into the restaurant, you have to have a mask on. But as soon as you sit down, you can take it off. It's crazy. I, I mean, I, I never I, thought of that description. But that's how you fix COVID. It, that, that's how stupid it got. Right. Uh, and again, it was, I'm going to do the opposite of Trump. That played a role in it. Joe Biden wanted to do the opposite of Trump. Because of Trump, everyone died. Well, more people died under Joe Biden, with the vaccine, then died under Trump. He was the responsible grown-up one who vilified you if you had questions about the vaccine. And he said this is, a, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That was a total lie. Do you know he begged nurses to work? They were in the line of fire, and then they all got fired that didn't want to take the vaccine, and they never acknowledged what we all knew. Any nurse in a hospital had the virus, whether they acknowledged it or not, whether they knew it or not. So they wouldn't even acknowledge natural immunity or religious exemption, and they all got fired. Still to this day, there are thousands of nurses who got fired, and we need thousands of oh, nurses. We're desperately short of nurses. Well, I want one more, one more point on this before I want to shift gears to something else. But a, a, a doctor friend of mine in Tyler, Texas, where my radio stations are, he's a rheumatologist. He has been prescribing hydroxychloroquine for 40 years. And I asked him early on, what about hydroxychloroquine? He said, I don't know. 
whether it will whether it will uh, mitigate COVID nineteen or not. I do know this: it can be safely prescribed, and you can see without any downside. I've been prescribing it for four decades of medical practice. So we know how to prescribe it. We know what its side effect profile is. And it is possible that it will mitigate COVID because it is an immunoacting drug. So it's worth a try. That's what he said. But if you said hydroxychloroquine out loud during all of that, again, you were canceled and set upon. Right. Uh, That ivermectin, they took down congressional hearings on YouTube that brought up ivermectin. It's nuts. And the last thing I'll bring up is uh, we never tackle the fact that we have therapeutics, but they didn't want to offer them. My opinion, they didn't want to offer them because if you said, oh, if I get sick, I'll just take Regeneron. If I, ju- if I get sick, I'll take monoclonal antibodies. If they knew that was an option, they were so afraid that people would take it instead of the vaccine, they didn't offer it. Because in, it reminded me, in DeSantis's book, he talks about scrambling to get monoclonal uh, clonal antibodies for Florida residents. He was willing to pay it. They had the money, and they can't find it because they started pulling it back because people were getting better. That, to me, is insane. All right, shift gears in the time we have left. One of the things I think is a problem in America right now is the priorities of the government are in no way in sync with the priorities of the people. The priorities of the government are gender, climate change, Ukraine, uh, the priorities of the people are illegal immigration, the economy, um, inflation, paying paying the bills, crime, crime. You know, escalating crime. The cities, our big cities, most of them are really, really having a huge problem with crime, including this one here. And so, why, if if government is there to to, if we put people in government, should there shouldn't their priorities? be reflective of our priorities. If they want to be successful politicians, sooner or later, uh, they have to start doing this. I think we saw in D.C. their D.C. council came out and decided to make uh, have pro-criminal legislation, lessening penalties, yep. uh, raising threshold for tolerance and recidivism and everything. And guess what? Democrats joined with Republicans and the president to block it. We just had a segment on that. Just a, little, a congressman from Wisconsin just said it, that. It gives me... Uh, gives me hope that people are realizing, even if it's for political purposes, that crime is an issue and it doesn't cut on party lines. And that whole mayoral race in Illinois and Chicago Chicago, also gives me hope. The fact that they're recalling the mayor in New Orleans because she's absolutely awful. My daughter Uh, living there now. It will tell you you what a frightening place it is. Recall her, what they did with Chesa Bodine in San Francisco, uh, what they should have been able to do in Los Angeles. And sooner or later, people are going to say, wait a second, I don't care what the party says, what the rallies reveal. I'm not, uh, it's not safe to live here anymore. And I think we're going to start straightening things out. Or you'll see a re- Republicans run against Democrats. They'll teach him that lesson. Because right now, everything we're saying makes sense. But if you look back at the lesson of the midterms, you see a House that barely flipped and you see a Senate that gained a seat. What did you expect on that election? I thought I bought into the whole thing. It's going to be a Republican wave. I, you know, I've, uh, I, you know, it's so hard. I mean, you you say to yourself, I, I think it's a wave, but it's not like football where you can analyze a team, look at common opponents, and say this is how I think it's going to come out. Uh, I'm the biggest shock to me is Arizona. How yeah. did Mark Kelly get his job back? Yeah. How did the governor, Republican governor, not get elected there when you know the border and illegal immigration and crime and drugs are such a big issue? That to me is. Uh, is shocking, but 
in New York where crime is a problem. Lee Zeldin, 53-47, barely loses the, mayoral, uh, the governor's race, but in it flipped four or five seats on Long Island and flips the House. That, to me, was a pure results election. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely it was. And, and very, very much underreported, by the way. Yeah. But no. Lee, that's why Lee Zeldin is a rock star in Republican circles. Yeah. He may have barely lost, but he brought a whole bunch of people to the voting booth that thought, why do I bother voting in New York if I'm a Republican? Last thing, since I'm in New York for the really, I'm in, I'm in Manhattan. I used to come, you know, frequently. I didn't, COVID came, I, you know, quit coming. This is the first time I've really been, spent any time in New York since COVID. How has it changed? How is it different than it was pre-COVID? Well, there's not enough business. There's very few business people here uh, in, in, in proportion. You see a lot of commercial real estate just wide open. You, people aren't coming back to work. I mean, on the trains, they're up to 70% on Long Island Railroad. Uh, and subways is around 40%. There, So they definitely have a lot of people. More people are coming back. But there's not a lot of businesses coming back, which hurts the delis and the restaurants, it's the lunch crowd. The dry so cleaner, the, all those things. Yeah, the ripple effect on down. But they say Broadway has come back and people are coming in, but they're getting out. I would say that when I was in high school, I was told, whatever you do, don't go in the city with a radio. Don't go on 42nd Street. It's dangerous. There's hookers and pornography. And all. That's not happening. Right. And I would say that you don't, you see very few, you don't see a lot of, uh, like a plethora of uh, car break-ins, but you really got to be cognizant uh, of where you are, what stop you are in the subway, and always have your head in a swivel because there's not enough cops and there's certainly not enough below. Brian, listen, it's a pleasure. It's it's so so cool to get to talk. Yeah, to you. great to see you. Do, you know, congratulations on all your success in your station. Everything well, thank thank you a lot. And my wife, with you, with whom you had dinner when you were in Texas. Told me to tell you hello. All right, back at her, and uh, make sure you're going to be home for uh, for date night tonight, or you're going to be making no it tomorrow. I'll be home for date night tomorrow. I got a seven o'clock airplane out of LaGuardia. All right, uh, good luck with that. Leave early. All right, all right. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate Brian Kilmeade, there he goes in the house. More of the uh, more of Fox Across America. Wrap it up with Paul Glasser sitting in here on a Friday. This thing is going to become gargantuan when the Son of Man comes. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. From the makers of Whose Line Is It Anyway comes the political improv show that's going viral. Dr. Anthony Fauci stars in Whose Lab Is It Anyway? I don't think I can answer that question, sir. A deadly virus may have leaked from a lab. It's not in Fairfax County, Virginia, or is it in New York? It's in China. Dr. Fauci told us before the election that it came from bats. My response is right, you know, and the stripper really likes you. But the doc is changing his tune now that the election is over and his emails have leaked. That's an entirely different ball game. Everyone's playing along, including President Biden. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just, it's, I mean, you think about it. Tune in at 9 to see if you can guess whose lab is it anyway. I am completely unqualified. You know, here's the thing I love about Fox Across America, why I'm such a proud affiliate at KTBB in Tyler Longview, Texas, is because for all of the problems that a show like this showcases, all the things that we point out, we can still laugh. And that's one of the great things. As long as we're laughing, we're living. For all the problems this country has, our worst day 
is for most countries in the world an unimaginable best day. We live in the greatest country in the world, as Jimmy constantly points out, and for all the problems that we have, we, we live in a country that is a self-correcting mechanism. Thomas Jefferson said in 1789, it is to me a new and consolatory proof that whenever the people are well-informed, they can be trusted with their own government, that whenever things get so far wrong as to attract their notice, they may be, they may be relied on to set them to rights. And as Brian Kilmeade was saying, the election in New York, the election, the, 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 the notice that people are taking is bringing about that self-correction that is going to ultimately cause the United States to be what the United States is, a place of free people who live their lives in a, in a responsible way and enjoy the blessings of liberty. And that's what I believe about the country, no matter how worked up we get on a talk show like this, in the end, because we can laugh at the people, we laugh at ourselves when we're wrong, because we can we can poke fun at our at our opponents. That's what's going to keep us a great country. It's Paul Glazer sending in for Jimmy Fallon. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for much, so much for being a part of the program. Uh, I can't wait to do it again. Jimmy will be back on Monday. If you're in Seattle, check him out. There's still a few tickets left for his event tonight. Meanwhile, make it a good weekend. Make it a good week next week. God bless America and God bless you. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.